What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Sonic. Fuel up for game day and any day, really, at Sonic for a limited time. You can get the new $1.99 Sonic Crispy Tender Wraps. And trust me, you don't want to miss out. A crispy chicken tender and bold flavors like hickory barbecue and cheesy Baja. Crisp lettuce and melty cheese that make the perfect bite. So go get yourself some TLC, some tender love and chicken. And buy a $1.99 Sonic Crispy Chicken Tender Wrap today. Tax not included. Limited time only at participated Sonic drive-ins. What's poppin'? Real ones. Logan Murdoch here. Raja Bell there. Raja, we have a great guest on with us. One of my faves. But you, the former NBA player, go introduce the guests. Go go do your thing. Who we got? Who we got in the Man. building? Man, this is uh, one of Philly's finest. Um, as he just called it, Chapel Thrills. Like, one of, all, <laughs> one of their all-time greats. Um, played on some of the best teams in NBA history. And one of my all-time favorites, man, Rashid Wallace, Wallace, Wallace. Hey, bro, thanks thanks for coming on, bro. Appreciate you, dog. Uh, oh, man, no problem. No problem at all, man. Thanks for having me, good brother. Hell, That's man. what's up. It's been too long. It it's so good to have you on, but we do have a question for you to start it off, Rashid. Um, now, what's that? We have a, we have a, we, there was a clip circulating around Underdog, underdog Fantasy. <laughs> Um, about you on a one actually it was a very compelling interview, but Raja's name was brought up. We want to oh, get a little oh, bit yeah, more context. Yeah. Um, so Raja's name yeah. was brought up in terms of refereeing, and the interview that you did was great. Interview had a lot of I learned a lot about refereeing on that on that interview. But one of the things <laughs> one of the things that stood out was something you said about Raja and about him, uh, his, the way he was refed affecting his standing in the league. Let's have a conversation about that before we get to the topics. Rashid, what, what was the point you were trying to convey? And I'm ready to get Roger's response. What were you what were you trying to convey on the clip? And what? It, and I want to get Roger's response after that. Well, the thing was, um, Roger was good and bad for the league. You know what I'm saying? Back when we were in the NBA, you know, we, we have skill sets. You know, guys have multiple skill sets. We played things. And back when we played, Roger was a hellacious defender. 
you had your you had your Sunday afternoon games or or like maybe your Thursday night games or or whenever they televised like you know the key matchup big games of the week and this was it, it actually it didn't matter what team he the fuck was on so whenever he played against Kobe right away like in the beginning all right you know they was going at it that's how the league found out like damn like this motherfucker is D and Kobe up like uh he all up in him and night in, night out with every other good two-guard and point guard that was in the league. So, and I, and I saw it myself, just, you know, viewing basketball and being part of basketball back then. So as Rajah picked up his defensive presence in the league, Cass at the top was like, nah, we got to stop this. We can't have him going out there locking Kobe up or going at Kobe like that because it's going to be bad for ratings. Everybody want to see Kobe score and, come down and dunk. Roger was like, nah, cut that shit out. We ain't doing that shit today. I don't care about the league or, or what y'all trying to do, uh, the ratings or whatever. I'm trying to win this ball game. So, but right away, always pick up two quick bullshit fouls. The same way I did in most instances. Two quick bullshit Jones. Like, come on. So now, automatically, you got to sit the rest of the first quarter and, uh, and the first, like, six or seven minutes of the second quarter. So now, you stiff. You trying to finish out the last six minutes of the half to salvage whatever you can for that first half. So now you like, all right, I got the whole second half to play. I, I got maybe three fouls, so I got three more to go. The second half, third quarter start, boom, boom, right away. You're gonna get him some bullshit, yo. And then you know, so that way you know, Kobe and all the other two guards and shit were shooting and scoring. So I was like, man, you know, I saw it back then, you know, and it was like, man, that's a shame that. You know, this league is, is, is not like football. See, football, they want to see the 80-yard passes or the guy runs 70 yards on the run play for a touchdown. It's exciting. But for basketball, yo, a dunk and a three-pointer is going to be part of the game anyway. So that shouldn't have been emphasized more, especially, especially in Phoenix when y'all had to go against them shit. It was minimum five times a year because you count the four times uh, during the regular season. And then maybe the playoff matchup, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, was a little mm-hmm. different. But, man, yeah, and that shit was crazy, dog. It was crazy. I was like, yo, it's a damn shame they taking the offense over defense. But I appreciate that, Sheed. I, I do. Because, look, you know, you know, it's only so many it's only so many balls to go around in the NBA. It's only so many shots can be shot. And so... I kind of figured out early, like, you know, I wasn't a first round pick. I'm scrapping to get in. Like the way I could eat and potentially feed my family was to, to, to do that. Right. So it really meant something to me. Now, you know, first of all, never professed to be a Kobe stopper. Like that was, that's ridiculous. You, you like, that's like, come on dog. Like that don't even make Kobe sense. You know what I'm saying? Like right. that's crazy. Yeah. I good, got to, my man out the Rube Patterson. Yeah. Yeah. No Rube, but, but listen, I ain't got Rube wore it like I wore it. Like this was this was personal. This was this was our livelihood. So like I'm not gonna be afraid to go out there and and come at you. Like what I look like hopping out on the court against another grown man having some fear about what's about to happen between these lines. That's crazy. So what what I think happened, honest to God, was we were in a a a kind of golden era if you will, of, of like David Stern being able to take that league from this defensive 80 to 90 point a game, like, um, entity that, that was consumed. But then he realized, Hey man, if we could get this up to like a hundred and change and the, the Kobe's and the, and the Chucks and the, 
you know, the stars that were scoring all the balls could be up in the 40s and 50s, you know, and to do that, mm-hmm. you, you got to shoot free throws. This, this is what I tell people, like, to average 30 a night in the NBA, it's not just purely a skill set. There are a lot of brothers that that have the skill set to possibly be able to do that. It's whether or right. not you get the calls to supplement the nights when you are off, right? Because if you're not getting the call, the best right. players are shooting from the perimeter, what? High 40s, low 50s. So that's half the shots you're missing. On the nights when you go cold, if you're not getting free throws, you don't average 30 a game. And that's the separator. So, like, that's what they were like. Right. David Stern, we were in a time where, or I was, where, st- like, the league wanted the scoring. And if you were going to stand in the way of that and they could affect it sometimes, it was, you know, it's not, this is entertainment value at some at some point, at some level, mm-hmm. right? True. And I had, True. I had to learn that being in it. I want to ask this to get started with uh, with Sheed. One of the things that I find fascinating about you just is the um, is how you were able to your your level of bounce backedness. And I know that's not a a word in, in theory, but in practice, it is but definitely you, a lifestyle. You feel what I'm saying, right? <laughs> I, I'm looking at your career, and I'm I'm thinking, you know, what rookie gets gets traded right after going on the all NBA rookie team. And me and Raja always talk about how you have to stay in it as, and as your career progresses, what was the mm-hmm. mindset? Like when you get traded in that type of way, you know, you have, you have a team that seems to be building with you and it's not like you sucked your, fr- your rookie year and they could just say, Oh yeah, we should trade him. How, what right. is the mindset that happens when you get traded at such an early age like that? And then you have to go to a place like Portland and you don't, I'm sh- you know, you're an East Coast guy. I'm sure you don't know much about Portland before you get there. But what's the mindset of somebody that has to continue to uh, to just try to carve out a career when, you know, it, it, it's derailed that early? Well, for me, it was two things. Uh, one, with with me being drafted by the Washington Bullets, which are now the Wizards. Um, being down there in D.C., that's Chocolate City. You know what I'm saying? It was You had a lot of prominent black figures that lived down there. Yeah. I lived in a prominent black neighborhood, which was actually down the street from uh, Landover, USA Arena. It was um, in Landover, okay. um, uh, out there in Prince George County, PGC. So uh, mm-hmm. I lived down the street from the arena. And so I was living in the neighborhood and a majority of the uh, a majority of that neighborhood, excuse me, was prominent black figures, lawyers, doctors, you know, those who own their own businesses. Right. So I'm like, oh, shit, it's about to be on and cracking out here. You know, I'm playing with Webb. I'm playing with Jawan. I got two fifths of the Fab Five. I'm like, man, it's, it's about to get cracking out here. So went through that whole season. Um, Webb got hurt. That put me in the starting lineup for a few games. But. I definitely enjoyed myself and I learned a lot of things. And a guy who put me on to a lot, though, real talk, was uh, Jawan Howard and my old head, Bob McCain. They kind of, Jawan Howard showed me and was telling me things on, even at that young age, it was only, I think, like his fourth, fourth year in the league, I think, third or fourth year. Even at that young age, he was still a professional about it. You know what I'm saying? Jawan, he was... He came to, in suits and everything. You know why everybody else, we had sweat suits and this and that before they implemented the um, dress code. Mm-hmm. So my my rookie season was cool. But when they finally traded me, at first I was mad because I'm like, damn, we got a good team. We just missed the playoffs by one game. I'm like, man, how could they do this? But I sat back, you know, talking with my old head, Bob McCain. He's like, hey, man. He was like, huh. he was like, look at it. He said, 
do you know who you're playing behind? He said, you're playing behind Chris Webber, who's on a $68 million contract, I think, or something of that nature. You're playing behind Jawan Howard, who actually, for get y'all a little bar trivia, Jawan Howard was the first player in the NBA to sign a $100 million contract. Mm-hmm. He signed a contract for $105 million, and he said, you playing behind them two cats. He was like, you a liability. He was like, yeah, he was like, yeah, they going to trade your ass. And, you know, he was telling me this after, of course, they already traded me. So I go from I go from Chocolate City out to Portland, which is predominantly, a, a, you know, a white city, a white state. So it's a culture shock. But to be honest, I love my time out in Portland. At that time, I was married. I had kids. It's a great family atmosphere. Uh, it's a lot of family things that went on out there. So when I got traded, my mindset originally was like, at first, for the first five minutes, it was immature. It was like, you know, fuck them, man. I hope this and that happened to them. And da 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 But then, like, all right, but it is business. It makes sense. Because in a couple years, in two years, they're going to have to pay me because my rookie contract will be over. So I'm like, all right, it's cool. So I went out to Portland, ran into two more great uh, veterans uh, with Aaron McKee, who was man. my teammate in high school. You play with Blue? for Portland and – yeah, I played with Blue in high school. I, I didn't know that. My guy, dog. Mm-hmm. That's my guy. Him and Cliff Robinson was my other vet who was out there at the time. And, you know, they taught me a lot about, you know, the business of basketball itself. Before, remember, Roger, we had to have those um, those player meetings where they, quote, unquote, the business of basketball. Yeah. And all they <laughs> wanted to do was get us to invest in fast food shit. Right, right. But, I mean, that's, that's what it was, <laughs> low key. Right. Wait, was, wait, uh, wait, wait! What are these meetings? What are these meetings? What's going on? What's the, the, what, what, the, what are these meetings? No, these these are these are like what was it like three times a year? You would have a different type of meeting. It would be like it would mm-hmm. it would be fine. There'd be a financial one. There'd be an educational one, and then there might be one about like uh, uh about relationships and so on and so forth. And a financial one, they'd always bring you a thousand examples of of of, of brothers that had come through the NBA and people who had um networked and and use their resources yeah. to become successful business people after the NBA. And almost all of the most successful ones were franchise owners of, of different like fast food joints. Pizza Huts, Burger yeah. Kings, McDonald's. McDonald's. Yeah. We like, yeah, yeah. McDonald's. <laughs> we like shit. And, and that was what they bought too is though. But it was like, all right, it was, it was definitely a, a, a culture shock. And then just knowing that that's when I started to look at a whole lot of things and notice a whole lot of things that, okay, this on this level, it ain't about game for real. They were at least, at least for the players, it's about game for a majority of the players it's about game, but for the front office cats, man, it's all about them dollars. You know what I'm saying? And so they're going to go with the bigger teams. You know, that's why like if, if the NBA is behind you, in my opinion, if the NBA is behind you, they're going to be behind you. Like when we want it, that year we won, that next season, man, we only had like eight TV games. Just think of other teams who have won it. How many TV games? Talking about the Pistons, they on TV it, right? At least, yeah, with the Pistons. They on, they on TV at least three times a week when you got other teams that, that wins the uh, NBA championship. You know what y'all were doing, though, Sheed? You know what you were doing. You know what that team did. I mean, you played on it. Kill, we killed ratings. Yeah, y'all were slowing it down. You were beating people up. You were grinding the game down, and that's not that's not what they wanted <laughs> at all. Not. Right at all. Anyone who listens know that I ask everybody about 
those those vets because I, I think that they were so important. Blue was one of my great vets too. I, I didn't know y'all were on a team, but but um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about the dynamic going from um, you know, Washington, where there's probably a cap on what you're going to be able to do just because of personnel ahead of you. Um, right. And then the dynamic between a young player and his vet, um, when that young player is like, look, man, I, I know I'm young, but I'm trying to take this. I'm trying to take this throne right now. Like I want, I, I need this. And like that, that evolution of like the passing of the torch, so to speak. Um, did you right. have dudes that, that ever bristled at that or was everybody pretty cool about understanding the sheet was going to be what sheet is and we can't stand in the way of that? I don't know. I guess if I sit back and look at it, I guess it was more like, all right, we're not going to stand in the way of that because for me, it's like I'm, I'm the megaphone for what a lot of people want to say, but I just say it, you know, even during my time in the league, it was a lot of things that I was ridiculed for saying, but what happened end up being true. So I feel like, you know, most cats, the way I looked at it is it was a respect level. Like, you know, I respect a whole lot of dudes that played in the NBA. And one thing, one thing, if you ever notice, I never had no real beef night in, night out, week in, week out times we played these teams. It was never like, all right, I'm going to see you next game. I'm going to kick your ass. Yeah, it's going to be this. It's going to be. No, nah, it was never that. My beef was more with management, you know what I'm saying? The referees and, you know, more the way that the NBA, uh, in my opinion, they say they were behind this, but they the first one to throw us out there and fish fry when some shit happened. But mm-hmm. then when, you know, something happened on their end, you know, they asking us to be hush hush about it. So. You know, I, I felt as though I was always the megaphone for most part, and I think that's one of the things that uh, most of the most of my compadres uh, respected me for in the league. I want to talk about the basketball side of your side in Portland, but I do want to talk about just even when you talk about the Blazers of that era. A lot of things that gets brought up is you know, y'all, a lot of weed, a lot of weed, and now that we have gotten to <laughs> now that we have gotten to a place as a society you know with with how we look at weed how do you feel about that right now right it's legislated out of the game like players can smoke now you know and during your era I, I remember watching the same interview and you're talking about honestly y'all should go watch the interview on underdog fantasy it was hilarious but you talk about a time where you got I think it was from Seattle or something like that. You guys are driving from Seattle back to Portland and y'all got him done mm-hmm. for weed and it got on. And I don't even think you guys got charged or anything, but that was the narrative of you guys. I don't even think about the Chappelle show when <laughs> they, they <laughs> I was telling Roger about this the Chappelle show, the skit where they, where they smoke it and they say Rashid Wallace, which is one of, my, <laughs> which is one of the funniest skits of all time. But even the, what I'm saying though, even the perception of that, what was the perception versus reality back then when you guys were smoking it versus now and what you see now where it isn't a bit as big of a deal now in our basketball society and sports society at large? How do you feel about all of those things right now? Well, uh, I mean, back then, I, I see the steps. You know, it's, it's steps as it progresses, um, not only with the league, but uh, just with society. Um, you know, back then, it was by society for us to be smoking around town. You know what I'm saying? Because the whole town smoked. So it wasn't like, oh shit, Rashid, why is he smoking? Like, oh she, what's up, she? Like, you know, hey, I'm, hey, what's up, bro? You know, <laughs> so that that whole perception of us, you know, being all out of control and, and, you know, this and that. But think about, I want y'all to think about one thing. 
that with that team that you're referring to, they call this the jail blazers. Can y'all tell me who went to jail? Yeah, that's some that's listen, I mean, that all speaks to the narrative. You know, what you're saying, like I think what you're the narrative that they're trying to create and perpetrate out there to to yep. paint, you know, and that, you know, that's kind of shitty. I I that 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 not kind of shitty. That's all the way shitty. Do you know what I mean? Fact. And and Fact. while I you know, just personally, dog, like I ain't experienced it like that. But I did feel, and I've shared this with Logan before, people tried to create a narrative about me too. Like the mm-hmm. NBA did their best to create a narrative. They would suspend me. They told me one time, no bullshit. They had to suspend me because they couldn't be sure that I didn't try to do something to somebody. The motherfucker told them I didn't do it. I told them I didn't do it. And David Stern and Potnitz came in and said they had to suspend me because they couldn't be sure. So I can appreciate yeah. where you're coming from. I didn't experience it on that level, but that shit fucking sucks. Straight up. Yeah. Oh, big time. Big time. And how do you feel when you're doing, like when you you have that stigma, right? Specifically weed and in the jailblazers, but you guys were really good, right? And I say this as like, a, right. I was a Laker fan, so oh. I was on the other side of it. And you guys were like always the biggest, the adversaries for the Lakers run, at least in the early part of the time. <laughs> but like, Bro. What was that like, um, just having that, perce- again, perception versus reality? You guys are a really good basketball team that are trying to build something. But then you guys right. got this shit on your, on your head. How did, how did you feel in the moment with that? Well, we knew we, knew we could play. We knew we could play. Um, like you said, we were, I think, at the time, um, before they put that Sacramento team together, at the time, we were the Lakers' greatest adversaries. Um, but, of course, shit, when you got that big fella in the middle, ain't too much shit you could do. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we, it was, it was, it was cool. Like we always stuck together. Um, we always did a lot of things together. Not only smoke sessions, it was always a family atmosphere. You know, we did the whole hanging out. We did the whole barbecues and we kept it. I think that's one of the things that always made us such a great team. And so close knit because, you know, most people at the time, they wouldn't go out as a team. But on, when I when I got to the Blazers, you know, and I had the veterans, and Roger, you were speaking about the veterans before. They're so key in the game. When I had the veterans, you know, we went, we was it was like a family, a brotherhood. We would all go out. At least four or five guys would go out, no matter if it was a restaurant, nightclub, strip club, uh, the mall, wherever. Right. You had guys going out in groups, and that's what made it so close because now I can break down, and you can break down me as far as, Okay, like the type of person he is. Okay, so that explains why he plays like this. So now, and then you further talking like, yo, like if I, if I play with Raja, I'm like, yo, look, how you like to, how you like for me to set your screen? You right. wanted to be flat, you wanted to be on an angle, or you wanted to be a full um, where my hips is facing the sideline. You know, I ask all types of questions like that, and that's what makes the team close knit, and that's how we was out there in Portland. But you had the media that was giving off the perception of us, like. You know, we were some straight out motherfucking thugs, but no, we were, a, a lot of us was married. A lot of us was family men sure. and that portrayal, because a lot of we're a small town at the time, Portland, they didn't have soccer. Now they got a soccer team, you know, uh, um, uh, a minor league hockey team and all that stuff. But when we played, they didn't have none of that. It was right? all eyes on so you. Weird up. It was all eyes on me. Like pop. You have people in the media who want to get to the big cities, to the L.A.s, to the Chicago's, the Dallas, the New York. So what's the best way for me to get there? What's the best way for a lot of people to see my story if I write some bullshit? If I'm sitting up here saying some bullshit, then they're going to see my story. Then that way I can get to a, another big town. So my whole time out in Portland, there was only one dude who really printed what we wrote. 
and didn't write no negative shit about it. You know, if we went out there and played bad that night and sucked, guess what he wrote about? Oh, the Blazers sucked. They couldn't complete a layup, this and that. We go out there and we play good, no matter if it was against bum dudes or a, a great playoff team or championship team. Oh, they played well tonight. We fell a little bit short, missed the shot too here or there. But the other reporter, oh, even on a win, even on a good team win, oh, it was lucked up tonight. Yeah, they lucked up and hit a few shots and this and that. So it was that whole negativity that, that brought that on. And once they tagged us as the jailblazers, then the, the nation just took that up. And like I'm like, yo, everybody's saying that, you know, we was this, we was that, but ain't nobody ever go to jail. Ain't nobody ever get in trouble with police around town. You know, it was normal shit. Right. A speeding ticket. Um uh a speeding ticket or back then, you know, uh, Roger, you probably can know that it is a uh, noise ordinance ticket because our <laughs> our music was too loud. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Right, so right. that was pretty much the only thing that they was fucking with us with as far as the cops around town. Wasn't nobody getting locked up, wasn't nobody spending nights in jail, no probation type shit as far as, you know, doing something in Portland. But once they labeled us them jailblazers, it was like, all right, so we still had to go out there and play, no right. matter what. The right. media said this and that about us. We got to go out there and play. That's our job, fellas. And that's what we did. Mm-hmm. What did you think when you saw the skit, though? <laughs> when you saw the Chappelle oh, show skit? All right. all right, so check it. So at the time I was married, right? So, you know, this one, this Chappelle was hot. This one, he had everybody running home like, no, I'm going to get with you a little bit later because I got to go check the Chappelle show out. Yes. Right? So, boom, we at home, we in the bed watching the joint. So, you know, they doing their skit. And I think it was something like uh, the skit when keeping it real goes wrong or... No, it was like, like basically tra- like the so skit was when, shit. like, you know, like when you say, when you shoot a shot, you say Kobe. It was basically like using the player's name in your everyday life. And so uh, they yeah, was still, okay. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so they was like, you know, they had, they had your man walking down the street, the cop walking down the street, swinging the baton, do, 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 do. And he see the car full of smoke and he tapped on the glass and all that smoke came out. So I'm sitting there laying in bed next to my wife. So I'm, I'm blowed already now. I'm sitting there next to my wife, right? And dude rolled the window down, and Charlie Murphy was like, Rashi Wallace. <laughs> hey, I want everything for the – I didn't even see the rest of that show. My stomach, my face was hurting so much from laughing, and my wife ain't think – at the time, she didn't think that shit was funny. Ah. That's not funny. That's embarrassing. I'm like, man, you crazy. I'm like, you know what, babe? You're right. It's not funny. That shit's fucking hilarious. <laughs> oh, I was crying. Like, I couldn't stop laughing. I couldn't wait to get to practice the next day. Be like, yo, please tell me y'all saw the Chappelle show. And it's, oh, man, that shit was funny to me, though. But, I mean, but that also lets you know, like, man, hey, shit, we ain't doing nothing different than what the rest of society doing, man. So, obviously, media did what what they did and and people were trying to achieve certain shit right but within building not just the players like you know because i spent a year with the Cavs in their front office so i got right. to see how they move behind the scenes what were they doing like what was their attitude towards you know the 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 slander so to speak like how did they approach that did they talk to y'all about it like hey fellas we're aware of what they're trying to do like you know we don't support that where, where was ownership on that shit like or were they just leaving y'all out to be painted the way you were painted um, as far as, uh, with my Portland days. Yeah. When you were in Portland and, and the narrative was yeah. kind of trying to be driven, like we're, we're you know, right. cause like behind the scenes, I would think with the Cavs, we'd be like, Hey guys, listen, man, 
this shit is not fair to the team. They're trying to drive a wedge and they're trying to paint them like this. What can we do as a staff to try to counter that and change the narrative? So I'm wondering if they even did that or if they just left y'all out to the mm-hmm. in the cold like that. Um, no, they, no, they did that. They had our back because, again, we were winning games. No, no matter what the media said, we were winning games. And that's the main thing that front office need. You know, of course, that's that's on the PR to clean all that other shit up. You know what I'm saying? Right. The way management was like, look, that's what we hired y'all for. Whatever happened, y'all clean that shit up. Bottom line is we winning games. You know, we we up there in the Western Conference finals or, you know, semifinals and all of that. So they uh, management and ownership at the time, Paul Allen, um, Bob Whitsitt, uh, they held our back. They held our back. And, of course, you know, they set individuals down like, all right, you know, uh, we we hearing through word on the street, you know, this and that, that, hey, downtown a little bit too rowdy or, you know, just a little bit too much weed smoke or this and that. You know, they they definitely gave us shots like that. But, I mean, we were winning games. Shit. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that was the bottom line of the organization, right, is, is to win games. So I, I can't sit up here and say that they didn't care because they did because, um, you know, Paul Allen at the time to me was running a good organization. He was right. one of the few owners that actually was in touch with his guy. We talk about Portland and like, again, I grew up a Laker fan, so I've seen the other side of this, but I do want to get your opinion on like that 2000 season. What was that like? Mm-hmm. Cause you guys oh, are, shit. you guys are, you guys are up, you guys are playing this buzzsaw and then it just, the tide kind of turned. Like we always, we see this in, in modern, modern times, but like, wh- what is it like during those type of postseason series where you do got a, a, a chance, like a, a legendary team on the ropes and it just doesn't work out for you in that way. What was that like in the moment? And we, me and Raj always talk about, you know, making sure you take advantage of the moment when you have it and you don't really know what's the future holds in the moment in that 2000 series against the Lakers. Did you, was, was the mindset, Oh shit, we're a good enough team. We're going to be back next year. I know you guys played them the next year, but it wasn't the same. What was the mindset after that series? Fuck! <laughs> that, to be honest, I was, looking, I was looking at my damn phone. He scared the shit out of me, man. I was looking here and trying to look something up. <laughs> that, that was that was my mindset. To be honest, man, um, we we you know we had him on the ropes, but um, as I sit back and look at like when I was playing, then I felt like you know, of course, we were the underdog, and and here it is, we got the we got a great heavyweight boxing champion. We got him on a roast. He just, he ready to fall. And they was ready to fall. But then, guy wants to call a timeout so he can act like he's the coach of the year and like he's really doing something. And that was our downfall. I would say, I would say the timeout and the basketball gods because we missed. After that, the Lakers came. That's when B. Shaw hit the bank three. That started it. Then they, they went on a nice little run. And it was capped by the the dunk with um, the alley oop that uh, Kobe threw the shot. And, you know, that's when it was like, oh shit, like damn. So it was like we, we let it slip through our hands, yo. We let it slip through our hands. We had them on the ropes. We had them where we wanted. And and what made me look at it as the basketball gods it was the first start of their dynasty. You know, with with Lakers winning those uh, in Kobe's era, winning those, I think what five chips, it was the start of that, of that dynasty. You know, who knows how it would have been if we would have won. Cause me personally, Oh, for sure. We would have beat the shit out of Indiana. 
Right. They, <laughs> I and, agree. And, 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 hey, as great as Jay Rose was, that's my guy. That's thick and thin. That's my brother right there. And Dale Davis, Antonio Davis, all them cats. Reggie Miller, that, that's my big brother right there, too. But no, we would have had them right there. You guys were stacked. Hard, but I think we would have Y'all was stacked, yeah. bro. But that's yeah. So listen, let me ask you. Like you want you wind up winning championships in 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 Detroit with a hellified mm-hmm. squad, Dif- different for sure, but a hellified squad. Which one of those teams, like, would you say was the 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 better, more talented team? It's a, it's a it's a weird question, but like you could be on a team that wins a championship and say, yeah, but that that goddamn Blazers team was loaded. Like, which which one do you think was a better team? Talent-wise, it was the Blazers team. Talent-wise, it was the Blazers team. You know, we had a young cat. That's when cats was in a prime, athletic as shit. You know, myself, we had a young Jermaine O'Neal. We had a young Bonzi Wells. We had a young J.R. Ryder. Um, even though he was a veteran at that time, we had uh, Pitt. We had Steve Smith uh, going through the joint. We had a young Walt Williams. You know, we had, I had some good teams and good teammates out there in Portland. and. I, I would have to say Portland because we were younger and, you know, we were more athletic in our prime. In Detroit, mm-hmm. it was more savvy. You know, it was more veterans. You know, we already had the shit locked in on, you know, all the guys we had to go against in the league and this and that. So it was a – man, that was some magic shit that happened in Detroit. That was that was something different. What was the difference, though, in those teams? Because, I mean, the common denominator is obviously L.A., but, like, you had a different mm-hmm. Kobe and a different Shaq in both – in both uh, series, right? What was the difference mm-hmm. between me and Roger talk about guarding Shaq and Kobe obviously comes up, but what was the difference in guarding them in 2000 when Shaq is like this unanimous, a near unanimous MVP versus like when it seemed like they were fractured in 03, 04, what was it like playing mm-hmm. against those, those two different types of squads? Man, that, that Laker team in the beginning, I think, I actually think we could have got them if, if, uh, the coach would have listened to us. And and if you would have started Dell Davis, who wasn't scared to stick his chin in there and take them elbows and take them shoulders from Shaq, but he had the heart and the strength to play him one-on-one straight up where we didn't have to help. Then we was like, if you start Dell and bring some bonus in when Shaq comes out of the game, at that time, even in his old age, a lot of y'all not, a I still say there was no center in the league, no second string center, or and and a majority of first string centers outside of Shaq that couldn't uh, fuck with Sabonis. He, hey, dog, even in his old age, he wasn't athletic, but his savviness was—he's crafty as shit. Yeah, he so eat you up. Going like now with him being older, of course, he's going against a young Brahma bull. So damn, we gotta help. You know what I'm saying? We got to come double and triple team, you know, and, and come up with defensive schemes for Shaq. Um, but if he would have started Dell, I think the outcome could have been different. So now you fast forward to Detroit, we dealing with a young Ben Wallace. Like, like strength is in his blood. Like the, the, the dude ain't even got to lift weights or nothing. And he just going just come out because it's in his blood. His brothers is like that. You know, nephews is like that. It's in their blood, man. They some strong dudes. So, also he has that pride, and Roger, you know about as sooner or later with, with our era, that pride going to step up, and yeah, it's going to make you either sink or swim. Mm-hmm. So he stepped up to that challenge. He's like, no, and it made it easier on us when he's like, I got Shaq. Don't y'all leave, you know, so and so and this and that. Bet. 
And I believed him. You know, I, I seen the brother lift weights every damn day in the weight room. Like, he's naturally strong. If, if, if he don't lift weights from today and for the next 10 years, guess what? You look at it, you're going to be like, damn, you in the weight room every day, dog? <laughs> it's just natural for him. And he took that pride. I got shot. That's what he said in the meetings. You know, we having a team meeting and everything once we got to the finals. I got Shaq. Y'all stay home. Shit, that makes my job easier. Right. You know what I'm saying? And and that that was the, the key difference, you know. And, and Portland, we were more talented. But in Detroit, we were more veteran. We were more crafty. When did you know we all got their ass? He was like, we got their ass. It's over. We got them. It's over. Because it was five games. It was pretty much a sweep. Game one. Game one, they thought they thought we was going to come in there, and because of course you know most of that Laker team outside of Malone, GP, and probably like one or two other dudes, most of that Laker team was already in the championships before. So you know, there I guess they were thinking like we would have stage fright, like oh shit, now and now it's the it's the final game. Yeah, they ain't never been here before. Nah, we in there. That first game, we shocked the world. I, I know we fucked Vegas up. We fuck every gambling house up in the country, except in Detroit, <laughs> except in Michigan. Hey. I, I lie to you now. I know it was, dog, because nobody had us. First of all, nobody had us winning game one, let alone a series. You know, you look at all the betting lines. They had, oh, Lakers plus, plus 12 and a half. And, you know, all the commentators, oh, well, you don't know this and that, the Pistons, uh, they're too small to, all right, that first game fucked everybody up, man, and I loved it. I I loved it so much, and that's when we knew we had him, dog. And Kobe, as great as he is, you know, rest in peace, Crazy 8, he had a great shot. He had a great shot for that game, too, for, to send it into overtime, and, and, you know, they ended up getting a win. And um, But, yeah, I, I feel you, Roger. I, I, we call that shit a sweep, too, for the most part. From, just from the whole way that we played that whole series. And then – because we knew, so we, we lost game two. Like, all right, you know, we still feel good because we did our job. We got one. Roger, you know, that's when you go to that visiting team and, and the playoffs, all we got to do is get one. That's, that's right. it. And that'll change the tide of that series. So we was like, we got our one now. So I lie to y'all not on everything. I put it on my dead brother. We at, we on a plane. So I sat across on a card table. And so it was, it was Ben, Chauncey, Rick. Tayshawn was sitting right there. They playing cards. And it was me and Lindsey Hunter. We sitting on a couch across from the card table. And, you know, everybody, we, we're in a good mood. We're not mad. We lost. We're not sad. We're in a good mood. And I swear to goodness, man, somehow, some way, at one time, we all said together, for the most part, y'all know we can't go back to L.A., right? And then we all started laughing and chuckling like, yeah, because we know what's going to happen. And so, dog, when we came out game three at the Palace, woo, I think I think that felt like my my rookie season. I was so excited. Oh, man. We was like, no, we're not letting this shit get back to L.A. no matter what. We don't give a fuck about them getting the referees, getting the emails from the top bosses and, and to say <laughs> this and that because it was David Stern. He, he was promoting that team so heavy because – you had great players on there. I mean, he was doing his job. I can't be mad. Sure. You know, you had Gary Payton, one of the greatest defensive guards to ever play in our league. You had Carl Malone, 
who was one of the greatest scoring power forwards, and if not arguably the best power forward that played in the league. Um, of course, you know, Kobe, Shaq, so they had their whole Hall of Fame teams. Uh, uh, Rob Horry, uh, all them cats, you know, all them dudes was out there. Yeah. Hall of Fame team, and that's what, they was, that's what David Stern was promoting it as. My team of Hoff. Wow. We got something for y'all. Random motherfuckers out the gym. <laughs> and, 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 and real talk, so many years the Lakers done put me out the playoffs when I was in Portland and we had good teams. Who couldn't we get by in the playoffs? The Lakers. Yeah, we could beat them in the regular season, but when it came money time and they want the big fella, like, man, there's nothing we could do about it. So that felt like I don't I don't know. Like, I guess it feels that that weight that was on my back with that man and beating them the way we did in that fashion. So 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 let me man, you just triggered. I'm I'm gonna ask you another question. I do want to just say what I was going to say before, which was if you haven't been to a basketball game, I mean, I don't know what it's like now, but damn, playing in Detroit back when these jokers were on the court, that was a tough fucking building to play in. Boy, that shit was crazy, man. That was that was one of my least favorite places to be, bro. I swear <laughs> it's to God. all the way like, out the, out the oh way and shit. <laughs> bro, you stay out in Birmingham. Like, you was out in Birmingham, like, chilling as cold as shit. You driving yeah. out to the palace, and they, they get it in. It's crazy out there. And to boot, like you got, you touched on it. She, the physicality of that fucking team with she, mm-hmm. body, Tyshawn, like fucking rip, chasing his ass over these dudes, like over 30 screens the whole game. It was just a beatdown on you physically. But, but I, this is my question, yeah. she, because you touched on like you felt vindicated and it flashed me back because your story is kind of very similar to your coaches in regards to like, you know, Larry Brown had been to the finals against, against the Lakers. And won game one in L.A., lost game two, and we fumbled the bag, you know, coming home and the Lakers ran away with it. Um, what do you remember about mm-hmm. LB in that run? Like, what, you know, how how integral was he into the, like, architect of the defense? Was he more – was that more on y'all? Like, you talk to me about LB. No, nah, he, he's, he's like a mad scientist, man. That's, that's what he is to me. Um, I, I loved his nature. I loved his nature when it came down to crunch time because I'm going to change shit up. So it was like, okay, so with us playing the Lakers, so let's say um, our, one, of our, one of our favorite plays is called Two Chess. Oh, I know so Two Chess. Where... Oh, I know that. <laughs> oh, Rep starts where... at the top. He's coming off of either one yeah, or two. Rip now he's in floppy. Key. I'm on one elbow. Um, ben is on the other elbow. And Tayshawn is under the basket. So yep. whichever side Tays- uh, Rip goes to, we set in the screen and Tayshawn goes opposite. Yep. So, you know, we was like, that was our one of our bread and butter plays, Rip coming off with a mid-range. Boom. So he's like, all right, so two chess, that's going to be for Tayshawn because they're going to be so focused on Rip that once Tay comes off the bottom on that backside, Chauncey, fake that ball coming off of Rip because everybody's paying attention because we set a screen, hit Tayshawn. Uh, switch it up. You know, we, any play that was like, you know, it could have been a play for me, a post-up play. All right, we're going to call it turn four. So everybody knew turn four was for Sheed, but the play wasn't for me. You know, I'm doing everything that I need to to sell the play, to sell the ticket to the show, setting the screen, going across. Oh, no, give me the ball. But it was for Rip coming out top, elbow, boom. I mean, uh, top of the key, boom. So Larry Brown during the, during the season, 
all right, yeah, we running those plays. So it's like now, you gotta stop it. You know we running it, but you got to stop it. But yeah. during the playoffs, you still got to stop it. But we just going put a little put a little sprinkle on it. So when we say it's one play, and y'all know during the regular season it was focused on this player, but now it's going to be for somebody else. And then the other thing I liked about LB, he paid homage and showed respect to Ben. If y'all go back and look at a majority of our games when we played, um, when we made it to those finals with LB, every game we started at least the first two plays off for Ben. Like, yo, you going to start us off, go get your bucket. You know what I'm saying? Because every, you know, all right, Ben wasn't a, wasn't a high scorer in the NBA. We all know that. You know, his velocity was on defense with rebounding, uh, with just straight up guarding, you know what I'm saying, and block shots. You know, he, yeah, he could dunk that bitch in your face. He'll hit a jumper every now and then. But, yeah, motherfuckers left him wide open and this and that. So that was our whole key. Like, come on, let's start on you, big fella. We starting with you. This episode is brought to you by Nissan SUVs. It's good to stay up to date like I do with the NBA. You might catch me. Walking around the street, I'm listening to the Ringer NBA show, or I might be online looking at the ringer.com, looking at some power rankings from Howard Beck, or, you know, I might listen to old episodes of real ones. And that's why the 2024 Nissan Rogue has Google built right into its 12.3 inch touchscreen infotainment system. With Google Maps Assistant, you can stay up to date on everything that's ahead without even needing to connect your phone. Find your next adventure with the Nissan SUV. Learn more about the Nissan Rogue, Pathfinder, and Armada at NissanUSA.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York, we want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Cash in on balling out this NBA season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. So tonight, I think the Heat are line three. I'm going to take the Nets plus the points. And I think I'm going to take the over in Warriors Thunder tonight. I think they're going to score a lot of points. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to join. That's easy to use, and there's a wide range of ways to bet, including quick bets, live same-game parlays, the Parlay Hub, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash RingerNBA and turn dimes into dollars this season. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms and sportsbook.fanduel.com. One of the things that uh, that I've seen, I've seen in the NBA when I see the modern NBA big, I see a lot of you in them, right? I even think about a Jokic, right? Who can shoot, pass, can do all of these things. How... I got, it's a twofold question. How were you able to, what was the reasoning for you be able to get your game in the time that you were getting it when usually it was, yo, if you were big, get your ass in the, in the paint and just post up, right? And how did you get to a point where you would just 
have your game to be multifaceted. And what is it like to see this generation where that's kind of what you need to have to be a great big? You talk about Carl Anthony Towns, you talk about Jokic, you talk about a lot of these guys now. How did you get from where, how did you get your game and curate your game in the era that you were in? And what is it like to see the now modern big kind of take after you? Um, Well, first off, I didn't start it. Um, a lot of a lot of people like to say that it was me that started it, and or me or Dirk, you know, as far as like the power four shooting all the threes and that. But it wasn't me; it was Unc actually, Uncle Cliffy. He was the one. Him and and to me, Derek Coleman uh, was the ones who started the threes. Now you got to think of it back then during our era to shoot a lot of threes. It wasn't it. So you know, for them, with them being shooting bigs, you know, it would wouldn't look out of the ordinary for them to take four or five threes a game. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Because they had other facets of their game that they could do, put it on the floor, you know what I'm saying? Mid-range, jump shot, post up, this and that. So the reason I started shooting threes was because uh, one year I had to play the three and um, out in Portland. So uh, Dunleavy has started Sabonis at the five, Brian Grant at the four, because he was a BG. rebounding machine, Yeah, and started me at the three. So, you know, with me, I'm I'm more of an end-of-the-quarter end three-point shooter. You know what I'm saying? But then he was like, because I wasn't taking no threes. You know, I was trying to shoot mid-range or get myself in there for the post or whatever. He was like, well, no. He was like, we're going to need you to, uh, you know, shoot a couple threes and stuff just to widen the floor out. That'll make it better for Sabonis and this and that. So I'm like, all right. So, you know, I started shooting shooting in threes, but you know, I regretted it every time we did play my nemesis, the Lakers, because who did I have to guard at the three? Fucking Glenn Rice. Mm. Mm. Hey, I never in my career he against everybody I played against. If you look at the career average against me, Glenn Rice has the most. He was averaging like about damn near thirty a game. Cause uh, I'm and Roger, you know, like running off of the screens and. You know, you running deep to the corner, and then you got to chase the man back. Hey, yo. Hey, man, I'm a four or five. I ain't for all that running around these screens and all that shit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm running through them joints, getting fouls and all that. I'm like, yo, it was a tough season. But that's where I started uh, shooting the threes at. So a lot of the younger generation, you know, they see that. But I would say the difference now, that wasn't a fall-in-love shot back then you know when i was shooting the majority of them joints shit i'm already a veteran i'm already at least in my 12th year 11th 12th year so no my bounce ain't the same and all that so i gotta come with some equalizing so yeah i did shoot a little bit more than what i wanted to but when you look at now now it's just automatic you know you got guys coming down just pulling 40 feet from the basket just pulling taking nonsensical shots it's like they're not valuing that possession they're not valuing the ball and the way that most of these bigs now shoot it it definitely you know adds to their game because okay now it stretches the floor and we can have our guards you know uh penetrating to the basket or cutting to the basket so for some but when you got a lot of these cats out here that's shooting these motherfucking threes that shouldn't be shooting them you got you know like siakam up in Toronto, and, you know, you got a couple of other cats who shouldn't be shooting these threes, yo. <laughs> Back then when we played, been benched. Hey, it's facts, and I feel, I. they call me washed because I'm 47, my, my co-host here, uh, uh, she, so, but, but let me ask you, dog, as somebody that, that's in the wheelhouse, basically, about 
today's game, right? Like the skill level is incredible um, across the board, right? But to your point, like what, you know, what people do with that skill level at, at, at sometimes can, for a player of our generation, you could look at it and be like, damn, dog, you just wasted the whole skill level by just, by just coming down. Like, how do you feel about today's game? Um, the way it's being played um, and, and, and generally the league, the league as a viewer now, as a fan. Uh, it's entertainment. It's all, it's all for entertainment. Um, you know, they, you got guys coming down, no pass, putting up a 40 foot shot. You got guys coming down that dribble the life out the ball and then give it to you for a nine one one for you to put up a shot. And it's like, to me, it's no continuity. Like I guarantee you, if, if you ask some of these cats out here, like, yo, let's run this hawk cut. Let's run this Princeton play. They're going to be like, what the fuck is that? Right. Like they don't, they don't run on plays on live. That's, that's what it looks like to me nowadays with, with more than a handful of these teams in the league. It just looks like I'm watching a video game because they just coming down, jacking, you know, like, yo, I, 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 oh man, I'm pretty sure both of y'all done played basketball games or football games with y'all sons or nephews or something like that. Right. And you know, you might just be like, all right, yeah, you let them play, you let them win or whatever. But all he want to do is come down and do what? Jack up three, jack up three, jack up three. And you like, the dude was wide open under the basket for the dunk. No, nah, I got it. And they, <laughs> so you like, so that's, that's what it has come to now that the three point shot is more of the favorable shot opposing to a higher percentage shot, which is a layup or a dunk. So the, the game has definitely changed. It's more to me, it's more for entertainment um, because they want the, they want to see the entertaining things, the dunks mm-hmm. and the threes. That's why they took away a lot of the defense. We can't give a man a forearm shiver no more coming across <laughs> that lane. You know what I'm saying? I'm, hey, and, and Cats always ask me, she, who you think win between y'all and Golden State or y'all and um, uh, Denver? And this and that. I said, well, I said, truth be told. I said, you want the truth or you want the lie? I said, the truth is we kick ass either way. Because think about it. We could play in today's rules because we had skill sets. Like you had guys, Chauncey could do more than just shoot the three. Chauncey was a good point guard, good facilitator. He's seen the mismatches. He read the play before other cats see it. They can't do that today. Like, like just think about it. The only way, if, Roger, if you're playing a day and you're killing, the only way they're going to keep giving you the ball is if the coach says so. That, that, that point guard is not going to see like, damn, Roger got so-and-so on him tonight. He can't guard him. Hey, hey, turn two twists or, you know, whatever the play may be for you. We're going to kill him like that. But they don't don't do that now. They don't see a lot of the mismatches. They can't make those reads. Now, you have guys who are just as athletic as we were, but it's only one facet of the game. They only concentrate on that one skill set. Either you're a dribbler Either I can shoot, either I can dunk, either I can block shots or I can rebound. You never have that one complete player. Like how many guys in the league, a handful, man, that's minus the veterans. That's minus the KDs. That's minus the Westbrooks and LeBron. Go with more the, you know, the younger generations who, let's even say seven, eight, nine, ten years in the league. They, it's a difference in a ball game, man. They don't run plays or they run high pick and roll plays to try to get open. It's five wide. Ain't nobody down low. It's like, shit. And now I guarantee you, 
the big man, we about to come back, baby. Squad is back. What? <laughs> now every team going to want a big man. Hey, yo, let's post up right there. Every, what did Aaron Gordon do? I've never seen Aaron Gordon post up so much in, in, in his career than he did in the finals. In the like, finals, man, yeah. hey, man, get this little motherfucker off me. Hey, yo, give me that ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, I got it. Okay, so I'm from the Bay, Rashid, and I was listening, and I I was listening to 40, E-40 the other day, and the Hall of, Hall of Game record, and the first record on that thing is, uh, what's, I forget the song, but it's the first, what's it called? Record hater, yes, record hater. Yeah. Put, get that in post. <laughs> it is the first song that I've ever heard a rapper go at as a play, an NBA player. It's 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 honestly revolutionary. I know Forty spoke on it, but it's hilarious. And how did you? What was your reaction when you heard that it was different? When you are you aware of this story, Raja? No, I didn't. I'm okay, so E40 dissed oh, Rasheed Wallace oh, no. to start his one of his the best albums of his career. He just talked. <laughs> he just eviscerated Rasheed in, his, <laughs> in a record called Record Haters. Exactly. <laughs> what was your reaction? And did you guys ever like piece up and have a resolution? And clearly, like you're cool with it. But like, how did that? What was that like? That was like 95, 96, 97. What was your 95. reaction to that? 95. What did, how did it start? Like, yeah, what's I, the I, genesis of that? Like, all right, so so this this how I came out. You know, um, me being in my younger days, yeah, I'm I'm heavy East Coast, and I was listening to nothing but East Coast rap for the most part. No down south. No, you no East Coasters be hating on us. Y'all be hating on us. <laughs> no, it, it wasn't. A, I, I did listen to West Coast music, but I was heavy East Coast in my rotation. So, you know, I did listen to Short. You know, I, I fucked with Short from day one. I fucked with NWA. I fucked with Ice-T, Cube. You know what I'm saying? So when I'm on I'm on Rap City with Big Tigger, you know, and reason being, because I'm playing in Washington at the time. And then, you know, I'm the the highest rookie and this and that, blah, 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 blah. But so I'm on there. So Tig asked me, he's like, yeah, man. He's like, you know, what's, what's in your CD changing? For most of y'all who don't know, we had like, <laughs> 20K CD changers in our cars back then. In the back, so, in the back, yeah. in the trunk. Yeah, in the back, <laughs> in the back. So he was like, you know, what's in your rotation right now? What, what CDs you listening to? So, you know, I named a lot of uh, East Coast artists and stuff. And I was like, yeah, you know, I don't listen to the E-40s and the Goody Mobs and this and that. So um, with that, and I, and I found this out through my man, J.R. Ryder, who from the Yay, um, and he know 40. And uh, he was like, yeah, man, because he brought it up, too. He's like, yeah, man, 40 thought that was so disrespectful and this and that. And I was like, I said, you know what? I said, he is right. I said, in my younger days, I said, that, that could have been taken as a disrespectful way. You know what I'm saying? Because I could have just said who I listened to without having to mention other rap artists. So when he came out with the song, right, you know, <laughs> funny as shit though it was funny as shit though right what's that man's name Rasheed Wallace so it, it, the way it come off it come off you know he come with the whole east coast slang like yo B what's up Owns and this and that right dog so and then you know you hear the music playing and then the 40 feds were like what's that nigga's name I cried. You hear me? I cried. I was like, all right. And then, you know, but see, of course, I ain't a rapper, so I ain't never try to come back or come ask somebody to ghostwrite for a diss track or no shit like that. Like, nah, that's that man. You know what I'm saying? That's his lane. So 
Fast forward, I'm in Portland in 97, 98. And I'm on a radio. Uh, that's when I had a radio show out there on um, jamming 95.5. And we did the first actual like summer jam um, of a radio show in Portland. So who was one of the uh, guests? 40. Boom. So who was the, one of the uh, main hosts? Short, right? So, you know, I'm out there, you know, doing the thing. Hey, next up, this and that. Da, 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 yeah, thank y'all for coming in. You know, I'm hosting because it's our shit. So, you know, Short come out, he sings, sing his songs, Life is Too Short. Boom, 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 and then, you know, the crowd jamming and everything. And then, you know, 40 come up, the crowd jamming. So then Short, before 40 gets there, Short be like, yeah, man, I just want to do one thing real quick, man. And then, man, then get my nigga 40 water out here, man. And so 40 came out, and then he was like, yeah, man, let me get that nigga Shee Wallace out here, man. Where you at, man? <laughs> so I came out, and then he was like, man, we need to squash this shit, man. This this rap thing, it's about rap, man. They want to see us beefing and this and that. We need to squash it and this and that. So I was like, you know, I told Short backstage, I, like, I never had a beef with the brother. You know what I'm saying? I just didn't listen to his music. But, you know, I like I said, I can see where that was coming from a disrespectful way, especially after my man Jay Ryder told him. So I'm like, all right, so short boys together, you know, we shook on it, boom, bang. Fast forward some more. Um, they're playing Dallas. I'm in the Bay um, before they moved over to Frisco. And uh, I'm doing some shit with ESPN and all this other thing at the final. So I'm like, all right, I'll be back. I got to go to the bathroom. So as I'm going to the bathroom, as I'm walking in, who coming out? 40 water. I'm like, ah, I'm like, what's good, good brother? You know, it's cool that no, it's all, it's all good love right now with us, you know, but that was just me, you know, when I was in my younger days, I was ignorant, you know, just ignorant to the fact uh, that man was getting money over on, on the West coast just because his music wasn't being played on the East coast. Don't mean that he wasn't getting money, but that was just me being ignorant and younger back then though. But that shit, that that track was funny as shit, though, Roger. I'm, I'm gonna go listen to that. I'm gonna listen to that right now. <laughs> we got a lot of pride in the base, Steve. Yeah, we just like yeah, Philly, though. Like we that. got a lot of pride, bro. We 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 locked Fact. in. Let me just can I let me just say this real quick, dog, because y'all just brought him up, and it and it kind of ties into the bay. Jr. Ryder, okay. I spent a training camp with this brother. I was fresh out. It was with the Atlanta Hawks. He had just got traded there with Jimmy Jackson. Um, That's my guy. And, yeah, and JJ and 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 Isaiah, uh, bro, one of my favorite teammates. Jr. is one of my favorite teammates of all time. I played with this man for a preseason, bro. He is like real talk. Like that's the impression he made on me, man. Some of the shit that I saw, Rashid, I was like, yo, this this dude is really like he is really he is real. Yeah, in, in all and everything that means, the, the, he is real. Jr. right, thousand percent. That, and it's crazy, right? I just talked to him the other day. <laughs> I just oh, that's what's up. The other day. I ran that's into up. that brother at a AAU. At, we were up at uh, in Orlando. I guess his son plays on a Phoenix. He's in Phoenix, right? Yeah, like he's yep. yeah, he yeah, Phoenix. Yeah, yep. his son's tough. His son's tough. My son and them were playing, and his son's he could go. Crazy small world. How we all intertwine right now with each other through our kids, man. No doubt. Before uh, we get to rumor of the week and get you out of here, Rashid, I got a question about Air Force Ones. And you plan, I know you get this question all the time, but mm. did you have any idea it would have the cultural impact? Because I know that you you got it, you you wore the Air Force once, but basically based off necessity because of your ankles. Um, mm. 
did you kind of know that like because you kind of were a throwback player in that way and like where you where you were a guy that looked like the OG at the park of all, at all times but did you have any <laughs> idea of the cultural significance you would have with that shoe and just playing with it like or was it just oh I'm just it's full necessity I need to protect my ankles a little bit of both a little bit I definitely needed to protect my ankles because to me as a big man you got to protect three things you got to protect your ankles slash feet you got to protect your knees and you got to protect your back. You know, everything from waist on up, like you can recover from that. But anything waist down, like shit, that shit makes it harder. So playing in them, I definitely had to protect my ankles and either had uh, ankle braces on or I taped. But for me, I didn't know that it was going to be the the culture wave like it is now in different places. Because for me, like, all right, we all wore ones in the hood when I was growing up, but you know, like I said, I only started wearing them for real, for real, because it was the only true high top shoe that protected my ankle. Mm. And so I didn't play in them joints straight out the box. I had orthotics in there to let everybody know. All right. So orthotics, you know what I'm saying? That's the insole that's molded to your foot to make it just as comfortable as Dr. Scholl's and shit. So, I you cannot you know that them 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 uh insoles in the in the ones they like you might as well be playing in some Converse yeah <laughs> it's, it's the same thing you know yeah. what I mean it ain't it ain't no real cushion in them joints but what, it helps protect your Nike account must have been lit though right because like that, like they're just sending you random pairs of forces or were you just like getting them like the forces that came out general release like how did they like what was the thing that because no other Nike athlete is getting shipments of forces to hoop in like what was that mm-hmm. relationship like um it was cool man it was cool because uh i had my guy um back then was torres and my rep was uh nico who happened nico. to be the um gm of the mavericks right now so i mean they was cool with it man they gave me different flavors um they kept them live and popping so it was like once i added my logo on to an existing shoe that just made it you know what I'm saying? Better threw it over the hill and it gave it, it gave, I guess it gave Nike a little bit more street cred, a little bit more hood rep to know that my old ass was, has been hooping into my whole career. How many do you have? Left? Like, uh, are they in storage or something? Like, do you have like boxes and shit or do you just give them nah, away? Like, what? No, nah, okay. Them, them shit, I give a lot of them shits away. Like, right now, I, I used to keep all them shits in storage. I had to, had the little each individual box and all that shit, but no, nah, that shit get too expensive. So I was like, man, you know what? Let me get these shits away, dog. You, you know who does that? That damn Rip. I worked with Rip for a few years oh, at yeah. CBS. That damn Rip has storage lockers full of jeans. But I hit him up today. I'm like, I'm like, yo, Rip, you got a slime, hey, bro? I need a 15 in, in X, Y, and Z, bro. <laughs> he got <laughs> it. Like, he got it. He got it. I yeah. guarantee you, he got it. And he's gonna Straight hit up. you with a he gonna hit you with a let me check. Let me yeah, check. Let me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you was vindicated when that St. Lunatics Air Force yeah. Ones came out. I know that was the joint for you, because that was like all of your whole life when that when that when the Nelly joint came out. I already know you was going crazy. So growing up, you know, all we had was my Adidas standing on the two fish tree. You know, that's yeah. that was the only rap song about sneak. So forever. Everybody was seeing that. But then when they came out with the stumping in my Air Force, I was like, hey. hey. <laughs> <laughs> I was oh, like, okay, shit. Nelly and them hit that shit right there. And then, yeah. you know, they was talking about the difficult. I got the red ones with the red stripes and all of those. And the, 
like, okay. Like, yeah, we finally got some, we finally got somebody to talk about them ones. But they yeah. were classic everywhere, though. Philly, this is Philly-centric. Um, best cheesesteak in the city. For you, for you. There's three spots I go to. Um, I go to Max's. Um, I go to uh, Pagano's. And my young fella who um, who went to my old high school, he had just opened up a cheesesteak spot in South Philly, my man Marv. I forgot the name of it, but um, it's a young joint right there. Them the only three spots I go to in Philly for a cheesesteak, for authentic, authentic. Got you. This was a treat. I really, this was, this is one of the best episodes. I'm standing on in the real ones that we had of all time. One of the best interviews. Uh, but let's get to real one of the week, which is a segment that we do on Thursdays where we point out a person, entity, and organization that won the week. I'll go first, probably take one of Raja's, and then Raja will go, and then Sheed will go. Um, I have two. Yo. I have two this week. I have one. No, motherfucker, is, you go first. You can't take two because not then double it. <laughs> then motherfucker, you go then. No, you go. You go. You go. All right, you That's, go. I'm gonna have two. You go doubling first. Your then. chances of taking mine like that shit. You ain't go fair. first, motherfucker. <laughs> you go first. You go right, first. Back. I go I'm second, go, and then we go to sheet. Allow me then. Allow Let's me. Go. Um, <laughs> my real one of the week. This brother was um traded. He's going on two weeks in a row now. Um, he was traded by the Cardinals to, uh, to make room for Kyler Murray coming back. He went to Minnesota, barely had any time to get into that playbook, figure out what was going on. I mean, he's brilliant anyway, um, and he showed it coming out with two wins in a row and just playing great for the Vikings and Kirk Cousins instead. Joshua Dobbs, um, young brother that's just doing his thing. He's 2-0, and just figuring out ways to win. I-, I heard that they were in his headset at the line of scrimmage coming out of the huddle with 20 seconds and verbally just taking him through what he was supposed to be looking at on the play. Having a son that plays quarterback, that's some wild shit. Like to be unprepared yeah. like that and have the mental aptitude to to pick that up seconds before the play snaps, that's crazy. Um and for yeah. for for another reason though, I have a young son, my young boy Zen is um has alopecia. And Josh and and is a great role model uh for Zen. And I just respect everything that he's doing in all of those facets, dog. So real one of the week. That's what's up. That's what's up. That's a good real one. I, I, that was not my real one, right? Okay. Well, good. shit. Well, All right. Sure. So I got two. One, <laughs> one is Tony. Tony. Tony went to their show. They had a show in Oakland over the over the uh, over the week in Oakland at the Paramount Theater with Rafael Sadiq. You see me repping right now. Years. One of the best shows I've ever been to in my life. I don't know if they're ever going to be in your city with again, but if they are in your city, all three of them will go. It's a whole thing. They had Elaine Brown doing eulogies for the Black Panther to start this motherfucker off. It was some open wow. shit. It was it was great. It was and they didn't they took your cell phones off like so you was really in the moment with it like like a la Chappelle they took your phones from you mm-hmm. during the show so it was great. It was a great atmosphere and you know an Oakland crowd is an Oakland crowd. It's one of the best you can ever have. And so that's my first one, Tony, Tony, Tony. My second one is friend of the show, Roger's fave, Megan Rapino, who tore Achilles to end her career. Oh, um, it's tough. You know, we got love for you. Come on anytime. You know what it is from, from the real one. So Megan Rapino on a great career and Tony, Tony, Tony for being Tony, 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 because damn. I definitely, definitely want to try to check that show out. I, I heard that he's doing a little, uh, that they're doing a little tour. I'm, I'm for sure going to check that out. Cause man, yeah, you right. Highly Rafael recommended. Them. Woo. So yeah, yeah. I, I guess, I guess my segment would be, um, number first, I got two, two. Um, my first is I got to say, tip my hat to the young fella, CJ Stroud. 
Mm-hmm. Yo, yep. he has mm. been killing. He has been defying all the eyes, defying all the naysayers who was talking shit. Number one, about a black quarter, young black quarterback. But number two, just about him, period. You know, a lot of naysayers, period. And I love the fact that I ain't got to say shit to y'all. I'm going to prove y'all wrong on the field. And man, week after week, one way or another, young fella has been finding a way to win. So I'm like, man, keep defying those odds. Keep doing what you're doing. So I tip my hat to you. Straight and then up. my second, I'm going to have to say somebody I know personally and love as well is my dad. Um, you know, my pop, he, he a funny old head, you know, but he just actually was, he made it through uh, open heart surgery. He had a patient, he got a pacemaker put in his heart. So he's still here with us today. And, you know, I know that takes a lot of inner strength because we have some of our elders who just think that's the end of their life and wants to give up or whatever. But uh, no, my dad he kept fighting, kept telling his jokes and all that shit. So like, man, that's that's my guy right there. That's that's my hero who I, who I look up to right there, bro. Damn right. Shout out Mr. Wallace. Man, real ones, man. Rashid, come back anytime. This was a treat. We had a blast with oh, you, bro. Fact. Yeah, whenever um, y'all ready. Yes, sir. Uh, <laughs> we oh, we, we going to hold you to that. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. That has been Thursday, Real Ones. I am going to relish in the fact that my Raiders have won two in a row, and then we're about to get our ass kicked the next two weeks, including Tashid's Chiefs. So I wouldn't say that too loud, being a Raiders fan. Though. It's t- I mean, it's been my whole life as a child, bro. It's tough. It's really tough. Y'all in Miami this week, right? We got Miami at Miami. Yeah, we got at KC. It's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. Smack. That's all, too uh, tough. That's 0-2, bro. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Talk to y'all soon. See y'all Monday for motherfucking Mondays with Howard Beck. Talk to y'all soon. Bye. Must be 21 years and older and president in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with the Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com backslash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org backslash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522 Two four seven zero zero, or visit KS Gambling Help in Kansas one eight seven 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 zero. Stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia, or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or visit 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser, but I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I wanna wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com.